We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, everyone? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown, Wednesday, February 7th. We have a little midweek banter happening here between myself and Andrew Spade. We got some topics, and then we have some wide receiver position reviews to do moving along. We're making a slow and steady pace on these position reviews. If you missed yesterday, spoke with Ian Valentino, who's joining us at the OBR on Senior Bowl Prospects of Note. Check that out. Obviously, uh, touched on the Senior Bowl, or sorry, the uh, Shrine Bowl as well. So a couple prospects from there, and a lot of names to learn. We're getting into the draft process, so uh, any sort of banter on names that we think are going to be there for the Browns at fifty fifty four um, are well worth our time. So we'll be doing a lot of that. Mock drafts coming up in the next few weeks. We'll get there. It's going to be great. Can't wait. Andrew, what's up, man? Hi, Jake. It's uh, great to be here on a Tuesday evening. Weeks off to a good start. Super Bowl week is always fun because there is so much nonsense. Just a sort of, I don't, I, I guess my question for you: How much of the stuff that comes out of Super Bowl week do do you even pay attention to? Because there's constant interviews. Guys are talking. Every everybody that's there gets to gets like twenty minutes of airtime. Every like the long snappers get interviews. Mm-hmm. I don't listen or watch. I mean, if I was if the Browns were playing, obviously I'd be eating it all up with a spoon, but. As somebody who doesn't care too much about these teams, I'm not paying attention to any of that. No, I noticed that, like, maybe I missed this in years past, that they're doing almost like a kickoff ceremony. Did Is that new? Were they, like, having the teams, like, with a marching band in front of this them walk out of for media day? I don't know. I don't know what's new and what's old. I don't pay attention to any of that. As far as I'm yeah. concerned, that stuff is just white noise in the background. But half of my Twitter feed today you know, I, you, you're, you're busy with work stuff. You get a chance, you look up, try and see what's in the news. And it's just like, what is the chief's fourth de- defensive back? Think about <laughs> tacos or what it's like, Yeah, this could not be less relevant to, to, I, I can't imagine anybody being interested in that other than like the hot, most hardcore chiefs fans. Yeah, I, I guess that's what they're appealing to. It almost be I like, guess. if you have enough reporters and everybody wants to talk, then I, I guess you can, you can do it. I mean, I know, obviously, the media stuff around Super Bowl week is always huge. I understand, I understand that's been forever. But, like, uh, I just didn't know they did this whole, like, 
they had like uh evan washburn and somebody else like the guy what's who's the the guy who does red zone channel i can't think of his name actually oh, scott like, hansen yeah yeah he's like up there and they're interviewing like on the main stage purdy and mahomes and then fred warner and chris jones and it's like this whole ordeal where like 49ers fans are in the crowd booing them or vice versa and it's like i just don't remember this being some giant production i know that there was always media time and they get these guys on the field in little spots but like it's turning into this circus event you know and i i don't you know who am i to hate it if the browns were in it i'd probably love it i just i just didn't know that they would moved in that direction right and part of the presumption of course is that none of these players are going to say anything interesting the entire week right so correct no matter how much airtime they get unless you care about their thoughts about non-football things, nobody's going to go up there and say, Patrick Mahomes sucks. You know, Travis Kelsey is an idiot and we're going to smoke the Chiefs by like 40 points. Nobody's dumb enough to do that. Yeah. So this is all tangential to the actual playing of the game. It's not really related, which makes it, I guess, interesting in a way, but I, I see it as... It feels to me like when you had a like a school thing that was due and everybody was working on the school thing, like a play or a a big project presentation, mm-hmm. the actual school stuff just kind of all got put on hold. And so I feel like for all of these media people that are out there, this is a week where they're kind of going through the motions, asking these questions, showing up places with microphones, but really this is about them getting a eight day vacation in Las Vegas to just it's, it's a paid trip. It's a quote unquote work trip is what it feels like. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a massive production now. And um, yeah, I mean, I hear like local radio in Columbus is there. Like what, like what are, <laughs> like what are they doing there? Yeah. It's, it's a whole. Right. And what is the, what's the, I'm thinking about this from a business standpoint, what's the benefit to the station? What is the, what is yeah, the local radio know. station getting out of this? that's kind of the biggest thing I'm amazed about is how some of these, like they have to be there and they, and they don't stick around for the game. Obviously like they, there's no need for that, but it is just turned into this. You should be at the Super Bowl thing. And I guess, yeah. And, and there uh, are people, then there's like, as the week goes on, there's other like retired athletes or other NFL players will be there and they're like hawking products. So they'll go yeah. on your radio show. So you, you'll probably end up with some good interviews at some point during the week. Maybe some Browns people will, will get, hopefully a little bit of national attention in terms of, or, or even local, you know, it'd be nice to to hear from some of the guys that were in the pro bowl, for example, maybe miles makes a trip. I don't know who's going to be there, but that part I would be interested in. Cause like we say, it's, it's Brown specific, but um, yeah, the whole thing feels weird to me at this point. And I, like I said, I'm, I'm in the habit of just t- tuning it out. I think that's for the best. I, I, like, <laughs> I don't think either of these teams have, a player like a Marshawn Lynch, right. Or, or, or someone that is like, I have to hear that guy talk. I mean, Mahomes is just, he's, he's dry. Like, I think he's had some funny dad bod quotes about the pictures and the stuff like that, but there hasn't been anything good in that regard. I mean, Travis Kelsey's just being berated with Taylor Swift things. And that's, you know, not that I'm anti Taylor Swift, but that's just kind of run its course. There's not a ton of fascinating storylines i mean brock purdy is just kind of boring he's that's okay it's just kind of boring so i don't know that there's any thing that's going to come up or anybody that's going to come up in these in this week that's going to almost like raise the stakes of the game you're you're almost past those days back remember back when the raiders like lost their center 
like couldn't find him before the Super Bowl back in 2000 or whatever that was. I was still like, those were the, there were some I real do. crazy times. I do remember that. That was, I, I yeah, that's that a good call out. It, it used to be a little bit more up for grabs. It feels very polished now in a way that I just feel like nothing interesting could possibly happen. I'll, I'll say all of this and then tomorrow the craziest yeah, so, thing in the history of Super Bowl media will occur. Yeah, like Kelsey gets kidnapped or something like that, right? So, um, all right, well, uh, what's your gut tell you? Early Super Bowl pick, where, where are you leaning in this one? And I, I guess the thing that's probably worth remembering, you talk about how polished they are. I read Peter King's drive-in with Shanahan. He always does every year. He drives into the facility on Super Bowl week with one of the coaches. Actually, pretty good. I, I enjoyed reading it because Kyle went down like, some of his history with his dad and his dad's Super Bowls and stuff like that. I find myself rooting for the 49ers in this one. Not not because I'm tired of the Chiefs or tired of Mahomes. I think he's going to win his share of Super Bowls. It's going to happen. And like as far as guys who are perpetually winning, I don't find, I, it's hard to find one more likable than Patrick, you know, even though he's dealing with his dad had a DUI. I don't know if you saw that. That there seems to be some Chiefs distraction. If you remember, it was Andy Reid's son. Uh, the last time, like it was at two Super Bowls ago. It's it's just like mm-hmm. the distraction stuff seems to always be there for the Chiefs. But but anyway, like I find myself wanting Kyle to get one, um, largely because there are people that <laughs> try to diminish his ability to do this job. Still, because he doesn't lean into analytics the perfect way that they want him to, you know. And I, I find that to be really annoying. I, I just I really hope that the Forty ers get it done, even though the fan base probably doesn't deserve it because it's a bunch of bandwagon types. But I, I just uh, it, like Christian McCaffrey winning one and Kyle winning one. I, I find myself leaning that direction, but it's not like I'm going to be heartbroken if the chiefs end up beating them once again, where are you leaning? Yeah. I, I emotionally I'm completely neutral. Don't have an interest. I, I I'm sure I will watch the game because what else are you going to do on a Sunday evening in February? But I'm not excited about it. I'll say that uh, as far as handicapping it, it's hard to look away from what the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes do in the playoffs. I, I It's just really hard to. Having said that, there's something gut-wise that's telling me that the 49ers understand kind of what this opportunity is for them and are going to give the, the Chiefs their best, best shot. So I think it's going to be – I think it – actually, I think it might be a really good game. And mm-hmm. so I think it might be one of those where you're kind of sitting down reluctantly and then it's like 14-14 – you know, twenty minutes in, you're like, "Oh, okay, so we're gonna just we're gonna do this." So that's... wasn't it twenty to ten in that Super Bowl they played a few years back? Where like I think that's the Forty right. ers were up pretty comfortably, and the Chiefs came storming back to win that one, if I recall. So. Yeah. So that's going to be part of it too. Is obviously if the if the Forty ers have a lead at any point, the Shanahan stuff gets real spicy real quick. So sure does. My my current yeah. gut feeling is I would say Forty ers by a field goal. I think I find myself leaning that direction too, but then it's like I've uh, listened to Ryan Rosillo talk a little bit about just picking against Patrick Mahomes, and I know I did that. I had the Ravens. Yeah. Thought they would win. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like it's, it's tough to keep picking against this guy who doesn't lose very often in the playoffs. So you're kind of waging war on both fronts there. Speaking of play callers, there's a note that we want to share. Uh, Andrew dug this one up from listening to the Athletics podcast with Robert Mays and uh, Diana Rossini. So go ahead and share that one, Andrew. I find it a little interesting. Yeah. So the report is, and it was a little, it's just in the middle of the podcast. So it's not like a fully fleshed out report, but they were talking about the coordinator hires and talking about Arthur Smith going to Pittsburgh. And what Diana Rossini said was every team 
that had an offensive coordinator position opening was interested in Arthur Smith. So I don't know if that means that he was the first choice of every team. That seems far-fetched. Or if they wanted to talk to him, that seems more reasonable. We didn't hear of an interview between the Browns and Arthur Smith, but her indication was that every team was interested in talking to him uh, because of, I think, probably despite the fact that Atlanta has was not the most talented team over the past few years, at times they were a good team. Now, I, I was really hard on them this year because I thought that their expectations were too high for a team that hold on. You weren't hard on them. You were hard on one person specifically. Let's, well, let's call, let's call spade a spade here. <laughs> spade. I, I mean, but it all stemmed from the fact that they had an opportunity, one of the best opportunities in recent history to upgrade the quarterback position mammothly by yeah. pursuing Lamar Jackson with every ounce that they had. And they instead decided to ride with Desmond Ritter. Did you see the Raheem Morris uh, presser today where he pretty much said <laughs> not so many words that they're not doing this with Desmond Ray? I didn't see that, but that doesn't yeah. surprise me because yeah. it it was it's it has all the hallmarks of the thing that NFL coaches do when they believe so much in their own stuff. Mm-hmm. They love their own stuff so much that they think that they can turn any guy in the league into at least Average. They're not saying he's going to be a pro bowler. They're saying we can win with that guy. And there are some quarterbacks that do not meet that test. And it was, it felt obvious from the beginning that they put themselves in a position where unless the rest of the offense was all stellar operating at the top of its efficiency, the, that Ritter was going to hold them back. It's exactly what happened. So that hubris organizationally, not just Arthur Smith, but Terry Fontenot, everybody up and down the chain to, to say a once in a lifetime opportunity to go get Lamar Jackson has, has arrived. We were deeply involved with trading a bunch of assets for Deshaun Watson only a year previous, mm-hmm. a guy with a much checkered, much more checkered past, but we're going to walk away from this Lamar Jackson opportunity that set the stage for them being, I, I, I think it was, frustrating to me that they were still getting the love that they were when they had entrusted it's like setting off for a road trip on four bald tires like at some point it's going to come back to haunt you so but but what i'm saying is that in 22 arthur smith's offense was good i mean it was it was top 10 in dvoa so there's reasons to want to talk to him and you know we were talking about this pre-show you were saying run game stuff is is good pass game stuff not so much but you, from that perspective, you could also see why the Browns might have been interested in talking to him. There, there's no doubt that there would be interest from expanding, diversifying how you run out. Like there's a connection to outside zone. If the Falcons were the heaviest user of that concept, but there's like ways in which you can run it, that you can get some different ideas, different concepts from it. You know, sort of how you use eye manipulation, things like that. I, I could see where Kevin could could find a mesh point there. I just also feel like almost every interview the Browns had a coordinator was, was out there, right? Like the ones that are not out there are usually like the tight end coach. We didn't know Tommy Reese interviewed. We didn't know. Um, what is it? Joxis air. How bad was I on that? Did I get it right? Did, did I absolutely butcher it? You're pretty good at this one. No, I thought that was great. Okay. There we go. Got approval. So I, I think, um, uh, I think that those ones going under the radar are not unexpected, 
but I would be like, it's not impossible here, right? Certainly not impossible, but I would be surprised if the Browns had interviewed him, seriously brought him to Berea and nothing came out about that. So I think there's a match point, Andrew, like I see how they could be drawn to each other a little bit there, but um, I'd be, I would have been a little surprised kind of how narrow that focus would have been for that, for that sort of hire. How would that hire have made you feel? <laughs> I mean, the, you know, I know you don't like him in general as a head coach, but could yeah. you have gotten behind yeah. the, I, I would have, saw, I would have seen the reasoning for it from the standpoint of if you can Im- import some of the run game stuff, especially with Callahan now leaving as well, does that put you in a better position to have more diversity of thought? I, I would certainly prefer Ken Dorsey. I, I, I feel pretty comfortable with the, the decision-making tree that the Browns followed. As far as I can tell, Kellen Moore was their guy. They made an effort. They came up short to the Eagles. That's fair. And then they went after Ken Dorsey and got it done pretty quickly. That's That seems like a pretty airtight. And, 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 you know, and then Arthur Smith ended up in Pittsburgh after Dorsey ended up in Cleveland. So I, I think if they wanted Arthur Smith, they could have gotten Arthur Smith. I, I think they chose the guy they wanted. So, I'm I'm good with certainly good with them talking to him. I think it's worth having those conversations. I, it would have been surprising if if for example Moore and Dorsey were still available and they hired Arthur Smith. That would have been a little bit like whoa. I I just I guess I'm surprised I didn't hear more people sort of mentioning Arthur Smith. Like I I don't remember him interviewing everywhere. So I don't know. I so much of this is agent driven that if the guy in question doesn't care about that stuff, then it doesn't leak out. So a reason that we heard the names that we heard with the Browns OC search was because they had to request interviews or because the agent wanted it out there. I I think that there's a lot of conversations that happen behind closed doors in the NFL that we don't hear about because the teams are, are, have a desire, have a vested interest in keeping it quiet. Rossini on the podcast said that Arthur Smith spoke to the Jets and they didn't have an OC opening. So, and obviously they have a vested interest in keeping it quiet because they, they don't, they didn't have a, a space for him, but they were should. Tra- thinking, right. They were thinking <laughs> about making a space for him. Right, right. So I, I think that there's a lot that goes on that we don't hear about because these teams are very, very good at only letting the stuff out that they want to get out. And I, and, Agents are also smart enough to know that if the team says they don't want it out there, you're hurting your ability to work with that team down the road for a different client or whomever else if you if you leak it anyway. All right, two quick notes before we take a break and then uh, talk wide receivers. So we learned the landscape of the NFL's um, expansion cities that they want to get games into this year. Jags are involved. I don't have the full list in front of me, but one that affects the Browns is the idea that the Eagles are going to play one of their home games in Brazil and the Browns are one of the potential home teams on that list. So, you know, one plus one here, if you're a person who likes to travel maybe to one select city for an away game, uh, you might want to pay attention to this one, right? Andrew, maybe you have the full list or more information about it in front of you. I did pull up the full list after you said that because I thought it wouldn't be fun to just talk about different games that will be happening in different countries. So the Bears and the Vikings are both playing at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Beautiful stadium. People seem to like it. And then uh, the Jaguars will be playing at Wembley, the home of football. So that's London. 
And then the Carolina Panthers. We are sending uh, the Carolina Panthers to Germany, <laughs> to oh, Munich, uh, to play in uh, Bayern Munich's uh, stadium. So that'll be something that uh, they will enjoy, question mark. My wife has cousins in Germany who are gigantic German-born football fans, American football fans. That's so cool. I think they're going to be pretty pumped to have, like, that's going to fill up. It's going to be really, yeah, uh, really big. And we're sending a great product over there. Right. Well, they got they got okay. Dolphins Chiefs this year, so they can't complain too much. That's true. Um, and then, so yeah, the one you mentioned is the uh, first ever game in Brazil is being played. Uh, the Eagles are going to be the home team uh, in Sao Paulo. And the interesting thing about this to me is that it's a Friday night game, which the NFL is legally not allowed to do from mid-September through December to protect high school football. It's one of I the did not know that was a legal thing they couldn't do. There's a, there's a, so it's called the, I think it's called the National Broadcasting Act from 1961. Back wow. when our country passed this guy. Yeah. I, well, I just, I just to... read about it. I just read about it. <laughs> it's um, like he's got this thing just back of his head, ready to go. Uh, I find this stuff interesting because this is, this is back from when we lived in a country that passed laws. I don't want to get yeah. off on a rant here, obviously, but sure. Like the, we used to just pass a law that told the NFL when it could and could not air games as part of its. Well, it's like the uh, Big Ten put some Friday night games out exemption. there, right? And it's it was not, like it doesn't apply to college. It's incredibly annoying. They're not yeah. like yeah, like let's leave Friday nights mm-hmm. for high I'm school in favor football. Of it. I'm, I'm in favor much, of it because I think you and you and I are both big high school football fans. We attend games every year, and mm-hmm. it is it's a cultural thing that would be imperiled by the expansion of the NFL on a Friday night. But I will say this, Jake: there's no doubt in my mind that the NFL wants to change that law because oh, yeah. They want they if they could get away with it, they would figure out a way to put games on Fridays and Saturdays. Every and day screw, of the week, if they could get away right, with it. Screw, right, screw high school and college football because they're competitors as far as they're concerned. But so I, I thought will, that was interesting that it's it on is a Friday night. Interesting indeed. And I'll say, kind of um, working off of your 1961 notation there, um, we have had little discussions, you and I, maybe on air, maybe not, about the, the future of like, all of these streaming apps, because I think we talked about it back when Peacock was taking a game. single. Yeah. I noticed today that ESPN Fox and Warner brothers are planning to launch a joint sports streaming service later this year. So the move, uh, I'm just kind of reading the release here that says that we'll place content from ESPN, TNT, Fox sports on a new standalone app. And we'll have significant ramifications for the future of TV sports. No name yet, no platform, but like, um, I think I said back when the Peacock thing, like we're just going to miss cable to which you responded. Well, I miss the cable prices that they used to have. And it's like, I think they're just going to ultimately find a way to make it like cable and make the prices ridiculous, more ridiculous That's than they've where ever we're been. headed. Yeah, yeah. definitely. It, it sucks very much. Um, I don't like it. So the other thing about the Brazil game is that the Browns are scheduled to be in Philadelphia this year. So technically they could, instead of going to Philadelphia, go to Sao Paulo. Yeah, that's the big nugget. They have a chance. They, yeah. And it wouldn't surprise me if they did that, to be honest, because the Browns yeah. are competent, right? It it, it technically, or t- typically, it tends to be a, a non-conference game because mm-hmm. you certainly don't want to send a division game overseas. Yep. And they have had uh, conference games be overseas, but but I think they like to do non-conference because it matters so little in the playoff seating. The only thing I would say is the there were a lot of people on Brown's Twitter when this news broke that put that two and two together and we're like, Oh, this is for sure going to happen. And there's, I think there's a little bit of a, uh, we're the main character disease there 
Yeah. Like the Eagles also host the Steelers this year. I think yeah. it's a much more attractive game it, it to send be. to Brazil. So um, I don't know, man. Like I, I know that every time any team the Browns play plays overseas, that's what everybody's got to talk about. But it, I, I think there's a little bit of a disconnect between how Browns fans feel they should be treated by the NFL in terms of primetime games, flex being flexed, all the different things, the attention they should get from the league and how it actually ends up playing out. What ends up happening is that the Browns play like 15 games at one o'clock on Sundays, which tells you <laughs> what the <laughs> league true. thinks of them. It's That's just how it works. It is no doubt. Well said. All right. I'm going to take a break, come back from break, and we're going to talk about wide receivers. Uh, there's a lot, there's a lot to digest in this conversation. So we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals, and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. So why would you go game time? They have flash deals, last minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats. Like I said, before you buy them, you buy tickets in a matter of seconds and they're sent directly to your phone. 
All right. So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that game time app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets, create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co, but I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, let's break into the wide receiver chat from this year. Reminder of how we do these, group grade, who stays, who leaves, path to improvement, and some names that were drawn to early on. Okay. So uh, it starts and ends with Amari Cooper, who most of us, when we got with John Colosimo last week, voted as the offensive MVP this year, which I think is fair, right? Amari has 76 catches on 127 targets, 1,309 yards of career high, and then five touchdowns. Um, and then you're talking about the second most productive wide receiver is David Njoku, but we'll deal with him and we get to tight ends. Elijah Moore goes 61 catches on 101 targets, 652 and two touchdowns. Again, a step above what he's done in New York. So a little bit of an improvement. And then it starts to get a little tricky to, to spell like who's the next best. So Cedric Tillman had 21 catches on 42 targets, 224. And then David Bell had 22 catches on 29 targets for 221. So his um, reception percentage was really strong, 76%. Of those, uh, of those were hauled in. Donovan Peoples-Jones, before he was traded, eight of eight catches on 17 targets in seven games, 97 yards. Such an insane fall off from him one season to the next. Um, okay, let's assign a, a group grade. I, I think that you're kind of Andrew counterbalancing Amari being special with like some stuff behind it that wasn't great. But again, when you have somebody like David who's approaching a 1,000-yard season – the Browns counterbalance of what they need their second, third receivers to do is a little different maybe than somebody that doesn't have a tight end. Cause there's, you know, there's only like five or six tight ends like David in the NFL that can do this stuff. So you have to weigh that a little bit. I mean, David led the team in targets. He had 131 targets on the year. So that's not nothing. You have to kind of weigh that into it too. So you have David 131 targets and then uh, Amari Cooper, 127 and Elijah Moore, 101. And then it dips down to, like the next highest target share guys, Jerome Ford at 64. And then you're getting into like the twenties with the tight end, so on and so forth. So yeah, I, I, like give me your thoughts on the position group and what grade you'd give them. The other name that you didn't even mention, which is a testament to how little they matter this year was Marquise Goodwin. Uh, yeah, there's actually, I should mention him and like Prochet should probably be mentioned because he had yeah. three targets. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off on that. No, no, I just, I wanted to mention Goodwin because he was a, fairly heralded free agent signing the i think that the team was excited about and the and the fans got really excited about and then he caught four balls for 67 yards one of which went for 57 yards and so you can do the math on that i i just think overall what happened to marquise goodwin kind of sums up the wide receiver room outside of amari cooper it was from elijah moore uh, all the way down, it was a bunch of promise that did not deliver. Now, obviously, Moore had a much more productive season than Goodwin, but largely that's just a function of the fact that he had a ton of targets. Like, uh, I we have different target numbers. I'm I'm not sure what site you're looking at. Uh, I'm looking at Pro Football Reference. I've got 104 targets for Elijah Moore. Um, 
yeah, PFF must chart them a little differently. Maybe there's okay. something with throwaways or something. They don't sure. give them a target that they do. Okay. Yeah. But uh, anyway, 100 targets for a player like Elijah Moore is, I think, you and I, for what he ended up being, you and I would both agree that's too many. You don't want a player that ended up playing as well as he did, you you don't want him receiving 100 targets. He's like probably a 50-target guy. Yeah, 60 60 reception percentage is like uh yeah it's it's not good it's not good enough. i mean he has 61 catches for 652 amari only has 15 more catches right and produces 1309 yards he doubles the production so like yeah take that take that into account of like that it's only 15 more catches for double the production it speaks it speaks volumes yeah so like more anywhere from like the 60 to 75 range is probably more suitable mm-hmm. for sure and then I would say the same thing for Cedric Tillman. Now I know he's a rookie. It's different, but I think we both were pretty adamant or vocal about his lack of development over the course of the season. The fact that he was still struggling to know where to line up late in the year, was running incorrect routes late in the year, the sort of stuff that for a third round rookie, you don't want to see when you consider some of the other rookie receivers that are coming into the league and contributing at a high level every week every year where where, you know you're gonna see one in uh in las vegas right uh rasheed rice was a second round pick he's he's playing at a very high level Jaden reed in green bay we can name a bunch of players but the point is it's it's you can say you shouldn't expect much from a rookie wide receiver but what i will say is that the opportunity was there within the browns offense for a young wide receiver to come in and justify being used more and cedric tillman did not take advantage of that opportunity. So again, when I, when I brought up Goodwin just to set the stage to say what happened with him, the amount of, there were you know, tweet, if you had like a ratio of tweets per catch, it's in the thousands, right? Like there was a lot of hype about Moore, Tillman and Goodwin, and they really did not contribute nearly enough to this offense. You're absolutely right about how good Amari Cooper was. And the fact that David Njoku took targets from other players because of how good he turned out to be this year as a tight end. But if you look around the league, modern passing offenses do not subsist on two receivers. They don't, they, they don't work if you've only got two explosive options and that's really where the Browns are. So even after spending a third round pick and then the trade for Elijah Moore, the Browns are right back in the same boat that they were last off season needing to overhaul this room. So I go through all of that letter grade. I would say a C because I think the the room outside of Amari Cooper gets a, a D or a D minus, but Amari Cooper was an A to A plus player. I'd have to think that's probably the right anywhere. I think you could justify D plus to C. Um, I'd probably say a little closer to a C minus just be, just because of, the bottom like if maybe if Marquise Goodwin surprised us like I don't want to rehash everything you just said there which I think was really well stated like you know Tillman coming in and just being I mean he he, like basic things I'm not expecting I know that Tennessee's offense was extremely narrow in thought process and Mm -hmm. focus and it worked for them at the college level but there were just like little things that a guy should know being around football this long, like what a capped coverage looks like or running a bender versus running a seam. Like, you know, the interception against the Jags where Kevin snaps on him when he's coming off the field because he's reading cover three 
and it's quarters, like <laughs> that's the stuff that you don't expect to see. Or even in a more simple base is how to line up correctly. And that it's not like we didn't watch that in the Hall of Fame game and it trickled deep into the season. So there's ser- there's quite clearly a misjudgment of where he was mentally as a football player and how quickly they could get him to learn the necessary parts of it to be a contributor. And I, I would love to know just what went into the conversation around Donovan. If they, if they thought he was Tillman was in a better place or they were so disgruntled by Donovan's performance that they're like, it doesn't, it doesn't change anything about where we're going this year because the decision to put Tillman out there and then watching Tillman make mistake after mistake. And he had good moments too. There's a clearly a pretty good receiver inside of that guy. It's just a matter of like, can he mentally handle the challenges of that position? Especially, you know, I haven't talked about a lot about this, Andrew, but like how much they are going to adopt what Ken Dorsey wants to do. And Ken Dorsey is, you know, guys who align inside, which is a lot of what Tillman did. If you look at his alignment this year, which is, a little different for what he's done, right? He played 150 snaps in the slot. Didn't do that in Tennessee. You're talking about like a guy whose offense is tough to learn. It, 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 and again, I don't want to sit here and tell you they're rewriting what they're doing offensively. That I don't know that, but like it's pretty vocal at the time. I remember hearing Tavon Austin, who's, you know, Tavon Austin is well-traveled in the NFL and he's an exciting football player back to his college days at West Virginia. And like, a very well-respected football player said it was the hardest offense he's ever tried to learn. So how does that help Cedric Tillman? Like I'm going to be very interested to see how if the mental burden on these receivers ticks upward, how a guy like Cedric is able to sort of handle that stuff. Right. So um, yeah, we'll leave it at that. I think C minus C are both, are both pretty fair grades. So we go to who stays and who leaves. Most of the guys will be back, right? You're talking about rookie contract for Tillman, an end of the rookie contract for Elijah Moore, still a rookie contract for David Bell. There is a world in which Amari Cooper isn't back, but I really don't see how they can do that without bringing in, like they know T. Higgins is going gonna, is gonna to hit the market and they're going to sign him. I don't feel like, I, I don't know, I'm going to put a percentage on this thing, Andrew, but it's like a 5% chance he's not a Brown next year. It's pretty low. I have to think you agree with that. I mean, I, I could be wrong. You might be a little higher up on the spectrum on that one. But I, I feel like the Browns' options in free agency and at wide receiver are not um, steep here. So unless they're flipping like a late pick for somebody, I don't really envision a world where letting Amari walk and trying to sign like Calvin Ridley is the best route to go. Right, because you'd be creating another hole that you need to fill. The Browns have, I think, you and I would agree one current spot at receiver, like at a starting receiver that they still need to address. So if you let Cooper go, now you've got two starting receiver spots you have to address. Unless you want to decrease the amount of money you're spending on your first wide receiver and then increase the amount of money you're spending on your second and kind of meet those guys a little bit closer. But I also think there's room to redo Amari's contract in terms of his base salary is is $20 million. He's got a prorated bonus on there that you'd have to maneuver, but his cap number is $23 million. And he was playing really well this year. 
I think you would feel comfortable giving him guaranteed money. It's it's a lot like the Nick Chubb situation in my mind. I think you would feel comfortable changing his contract so that he has two years of guaranteed money so that he's a Brown this year and next year. That's where I, I will kind of land with that. And so if they do that and lower his cap number, then I think the question is, is there another top tier wide receiver that the Browns can afford and can go after? You already mentioned T Higgins and Calvin Ridley. Michael Pittman is a free agent. Um, Devontae clear, Adams. I really don't expect Higgins or Pittman to get to free agency, but no, those are the yeah, names. Those right. Be- I, I mean, right. So I think, th- yeah, I think th- that's the reason I said, is there, can, is there somebody that they can actually, that is a reasonable target for them, yeah. right? Because it's a question of two things. Can you afford them? And can you actually get to the point of handing them a big bag of cash? So those are both factors. Then there are, you know, you kind of mentioned trade candidates. The The name that I've mentioned before is Devontae Adams. If you wanted to really take a big swing at an expensive older player, he's at the top of the list. Stephon Diggs could be too. Stephon Diggs is another good name, especially given his familiarity with Dorsey. That's a great point. So there, there, those are kind of, that's the, the pool that you'd like to be swimming in. I think if I was Andrew Barry, uh, the way that I would be trying to maneuver this offseason at the wide receiver position is lower Amari Cooper's cap number and bring in another player at Cooper's level because then you've kind of got the two ones thing going. That plus David Njoku is enough to to really compete. And then more Tillman, those guys will take a step back into roles that you'd be much more comfortable, target shares that you'd be much more comfortable with. Yeah, Cooper will turn 30 right before the season, I think. Actually, I take that back. He'll turn 30 around the draft. So getting him for 30 and 31, I think those are uh, pretty pretty fine um, couple seasons to get him toward the end of his career here. He will cross 10,000 yards, Andrew, this upcoming season. He's already above 1,000 catches. Uh, excuse me, he's at um, 1,000 targets. Uh, he'll be uh, up over probably 750 receptions, 62 touchdowns for his career. He's putting together a really nice run in the NFL. Pretty, pretty dang consistent player. The only year it's 2017 that he didn't play a significant number of games that he had 680 yards. But I know that Mike Evans has had that run of like, what is it? Eight, nine seasons where he's had a thousand yards every single season. And Cooper was uh, 80 yards short in 2021 and then had gotten hurt in 2017. But he's been up above a thousand every other season. So good trend for him. Um, I don't think I'm interested in Marquise Goodwin running it back. I prefer to maybe draft somebody and uh, fill the roster spot that way and let, you know, let these guys fight it out for, who ends up making the 53. I just didn't think the experiment was worth it with, uh, with Goodwin. And, you know, obviously he's dealing with um, some, some dangerous stuff too in his own life. I mean, it is a chance he retires mm-hmm. this off season. So. Yeah. That's um, a good that's reminder. Cause that, that did kind of go by the wayside after the training camp, but yeah, that blood clot thing is potentially still out there for him. To your point earlier, you wonder how comfortable they feel f- addressing this position through the draft, considering what you said about Dorsey's offense and, some of the the learning curve stuff and and how much yeah how much of a so so how you balance that with for example like a Gabe Davis is available as a free agent a player that Dorsey is very familiar with so maybe does that make more sense rather than a draft pick I, I don't know I, these are the questions I think that we'll have to watch play out the other thing is less important but it's worth mentioning 
Jakeem Grant is now a free agent after really never contributing to the Browns, unfortunately for him and for the Browns, uh, and James Prochet. So they're back into the uh, whatever, the merry-go-round of trying to find a returner. Yeah. And we've seen Andrew Barry be pretty pretty aggressive when trying to find a guy who can really fill that position. I think that's something to watch as well. Not obviously at the top of the market, but he was aggressive about getting Jakeem Grant a few years ago. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a, a same, a similar level of aggressiveness to try and address that again. I don't know who's out there. I haven't looked at that particular piece of the market yet, but uh, just another thing I think that's worth mentioning as you try and stack this receiver room is you probably need a, a spot for a return guy. They'd be interested in that if they can combine it some way. The only reason I'm so inclined to be involved in the draft at wide receiver is it is so deep at that position. Like 15 to 20 guys could be gone in the first two and a half rounds. I mean, it could be a real run on wide receiver play. So um, let's go to the next, which is the path to improvement. I actually kind of think we've answered that, right? Like they need to add one. They could add two, but they need right. to add one for sure. Right. Yeah. The question is, do you think they need to swing for the fences on this addition in the state of the affairs of where they're at as a franchise? Or do you think drafting somebody with an eye on Cooper's a couple years away, maybe from being done and like, let's continue to try to develop to elongate the window as the route to go. I think I know your answer, but I'll, uh, I'll let you. Well, I, I think they could genuinely do both i think they could swing for the fences for an existing really talented player and add a player at the top of the draft to to give you that longer term insurance for cooper that that would be sensible to me because uh, while a lot of these guys are back this year elijah moore is a free agent next year david bell has two years left none and and i'll just say i there's not anybody in the room beyond cooper that you want, I'll just, I said it before, I'll say it again, that you want getting a mammoth target share. It's just not how it's set up. So I think that adding two players here, like what they did last year, but better, yeah. <laughs> it's probably my, the way that I would summarize this plan, add a veteran, a young veteran and add a player in the draft, but better than Moore and Tillman. It should be the swing. I, I mean, I don't think you can sit there and rest on what you you have currently you, you need to do one of the two paths it, it would be honestly ideal most ideal to see them do both yeah it would it would be the the right thing to do they have to get they have to continue to chase explosive plays and they have to be able to find more of them um and and i think that improving the talent there uh will, will certainly help i think i think that that's it's got to be on the forefront of their offseason plans right so um, we will be very in depth with wide receiver draft stuff, wide receiver free agency in the coming weeks. There's no doubt about that. This will start moving really quickly. About a month from now, we'll be like a week out from free agency. So we'll be covering it throughout the rest of the entirety of the month and, and then uh, talking to people close to the draft and doing our own study about which of these wide receivers could be there at 54 and appeal to us the most when we get there. So um all right, that's a show. We're going to wrap it up. We're going to get out of here. We, uh, as always, appreciate you stopping by and spending some time uh, in your day with the OBR Film Breakdown. I know Andrew and I both appreciate that. And obviously, would continue to ask you to rate and review the podcast if you can. You guys have been great with that on both Spotify and Apple and wherever you find your pods. We appreciate it very much. Mailbag tomorrow. So if you have a question, 
be ready to let us know, whatever that might be. We're willing to answer those. So shoot those over, get that tweet up first thing in the morning. You can always shoot over via DM to Andrew or myself. I will admit that Andrew's a higher hit rate of seeing those and <laughs> finding their way into the, into the podcast. So I have like take six that for... followers on Twitter. So. <laughs> nah, you got, you got six arguments a day at this point where you're going, you know? So yeah, go to Andrew, take all your questions to Andrew. He'll be able to, to throw those in there for us. So yeah, mailbag tomorrow, be there or be square. We appreciate you stopping by. Be well, go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.